Well, open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 22. Our Sunday school class for the last six months or so has been studying the the book, The Trail of Blood, which I I think some of you are probably familiar with it. It's an old book uh, written about 80 years ago, and it follows the um, history of Christianity for the last 2,000 years, and so it's a little bit different than than what we typically do, because we usually just take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse, but... um, so that's dealing primarily with things that happened up until the first century. But this book, The Trail of Blood, has allowed us to look at the things that have been going on for the last 2,000 years. And so it's been a very rewarding study. It's, about, uh, it's got a specific emphasis on the Baptist history. And it has uh, it's involved looking at the uh, lives of a lot of people who have been persecuted and uh, have even ended up being a martyr. And so one of the people that we were looking at as we were uh, looking at a scriptural account of somebody who is a martyr was Zechariah. And that's how we got to Second Chronicles chapter 22, 23, and 24, which is the life of King Joab, or Joash and, uh, and his involvement in the life of Zechariah. But I'm going to just go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll, we'll start looking at this story. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come here and to worship freely, and I pray that this will be a profitable time, that it will be uh, give us each an opportunity to assess our relationship with you, and I pray that whatever is said here will uh, be an encouragement and will ultimately exalt you, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to give you a little bit of a background, even leading up to verse number 10, which is where we're going to start. Um, Joash's great-grandfather, Jehoshaphat, was a very godly king. And uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you some of the scriptures as we move through the, through the study, but we're not going to turn to all of them. Second uh, Chronicles 20.32 says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And Joash's grandfather, Jehoram, was a very evil king, a wicked king, and he killed all of his brothers, and the Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord in Second Chronicles 21.6. He, he only reigned for eight years, and God killed him with disease. And when he died, Ahaziah, Joash's father, became king, and he was also a very wicked king. And he was only king for a year. And then uh, Athaliah, his mother, the wife of Jehoram, which would be Joash's grandmother, uh, she was a very wicked queen, but she had she attempted to have all of her grandsons killed, and she's succeeding in having them all killed except for Joash. She was the daughter of Jezebel, and so obviously uh, we know where her wickedness, she, she learned from the best. But we're going to pick up now in verse 10. It says, But when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, 
for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she slew him not. And he was with them hid in the house of God six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. So uh, this story is about, is about Joash, and uh, this, this couple, Jehoshabeth and, and uh, Jehoiada, they were his aunt and uncle, but effectively they became his parents. Uh, they stole him away when he was a year old to save him from being killed. And then, uh, as we'll see there in the first verse of chapter 23, uh, he was hidden then for another six years. So let's pick up now in, in chapter 23. It says, And in the seventh year Jehoiada strengthened himself and took the captains of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoram, and Ishmael the son of Jehohanan, and Azariah the son of Obed, and Messiah the son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat the son of Zitri, into covenant with him. And they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and the chief of the fathers of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem and all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord hath said of the sons of David. Now this chapter 23 is primarily about the recovery of the throne for Joash. And I just wanted to stop right there because... I cannot find any indication in the story that there are any selfish or impure motives on the part of Jehoiada. And I think verse number three here really kind of underscores that. He's not interested in recapturing the throne for his own personal gain or his own personal benefit. He is interesting and interested in seeing the promises of the Lord fulfilled, and that is seeing the sons of David sit on the throne. Obviously, this is quite a, a plan that he's trying to orchestrate to capture the throne back. And uh, we're, we're just going gonna to go on now and read down to verse 11 from verse 4. This is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and of the Levites shall be porters of the doors. And a third part shall be at the king's house. And a third part at the gate of the fountain. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let none come into the house of the Lord, save the priests, and they that minister of the Levites. They shall go in, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whosoever else cometh into the house, he shall be put to death. But be you with the king when he cometh in, and when he goeth out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest had commanded, and took every man his men that were come, that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that were to go out on the Sabbath, for Jehoiada the priest dismissed not the courses. Moreover, Jehoiada the priest delivered to the captains of hundreds spears and bucklers and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. And he set all the people, every man having his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar in the temple, by the king round about. Then they brought out the king's son and put upon him the crown and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. So you can see the drama that's going on. This is obviously a, a big deal. The, the transition of power was always a big deal, especially in a monarchy and with royalty. And we don't, you know, we see that today. And some of the study that we were 
a lot of our study throughout the, our Sunday School series was having us look at the transition of power. Because a lot of times when there was a transition of power in Europe during the last 2,000 years, that's when there were a lot of religious changes, especially under people like Henry VIII. Well, today's no different. Obviously, people get really excited about this kind of stuff. I heard on the news the other day that uh, they said 2 billion people were probably going to watch the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. And I figured I'd probably be one of them because I won't have any choice. It's all that's going to be on the news. It's all that's going to be on the cover of every magazine and at the grocery store. And that's the way it is. People get very excited about that. Well, and that's what's happening here. This is a transition of power. And the people are, you know, Jehoiada didn't have any trouble enlisting the support of the entire nation. Everybody understood just how wicked Athaliah was. And everybody was glad to see her go. And this is... You know, this is similar to what we're seeing going on in our world right now. You know, we see what's going on in North Africa with Libya and Muammar Gaddafi and Yemen and Egypt and some of these North African countries, and people want those that are in positions of authority that are wicked, they want them gone. And so that's what's happening here. Let's go on in verse number 12. It says, Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people into the house of the Lord. And she looked, and behold, the king stood at his pillar at the entering in, and the princes and the trumpets by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and sounded with trumpets, also the singers with instruments of music, and such as taught to sing praise. Then Athaliah rent her clothes and said, Treason, treason. Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds that were set over the host and said unto them, Have her forth of the ranges, and whoso followeth her, let... Let him be slain with the sword. For the priest said, Slay her not in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. So this is the, the transition of power has taken place. Now in verses 16 through 21, I think this is again further evidence of the fact that Jehoiada's motives were pure. He's interested in seeing the, the people turn to the Lord and, and we're going to look at the reforms here in verses 16 through 21 that he institutes. Verse number 16, And Jehoiada made a covenant between him and between all the people, and between the king, that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the house of Baal, and break it down, and break his altars and his images in pieces, and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Also Jehoiada appointed the offices of the house of the Lord by the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had distributed in the house of the Lord, to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was ordained by David. And he set the porters at the gates of the house of the Lord, that none which was unclean in anything should enter in. And he took the captains of hundreds, and the nobles, and the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought down the king from the house of the Lord." And they came through the high gate into the king's house and set the king upon the throne of the kingdom. And all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after that they had slain Athaliah with the sword. So that is all leading up to now where Joash is going to assume the throne. Uh, now remember, he's only seven years old. Chapter 24, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, when I was looking at this story several weeks ago in, in preparing for Sunday school, 
That was the part of the story that caught my attention. If you're familiar with the, the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you're kind of aware of the repetitiveness uh, of statements like that. Uh, those books recount the lives of uh, about 40 different kings, and each king's life is generally summarized in one of two ways. It, the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or he did that which was evil or wicked in the sight of the Lord. Yet this verse is different. It's got a qualifier. It's got that added phrase, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And so that right there is kind of a, a hint, an indication that there's something about the life of Joash that isn't going to be typical like a lot of the other kings were looking at. The parallel account of this, which is in 2 Kings chapter 12, says that Joash did that, was, that, which was, that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada instructed him. So again, we see the same qualifier. And so again, that, that should immediately grab our attention. It should kind of make us look at the story and then see what's going to change as a result of Jehoiada, you know, when he's no longer around. And some of the statements of some of the other kings in First Kings 15.4, it says, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And in First Kings 15.14 and in Second Chronicles 15.17, it says, Asa's heart was perfect all his days. And in Second Kings 15, 17, and 18, it says, Manahem did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord all his days. So this phrase, all his days, is a very common reoccurring phrase, but it's, it's different with, with Joash. We've got this qualifier that it's basically telling us that he only did that which was right while Jehoiada was, was around, when, when Jehoiada was alive. So this phrase takes on great significance. Now let's continue on, starting in verse 4. It says, And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out unto the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that ye haste the matter. Howbeit the Levites hasted it not, hastened it not. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection? according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of the Lord, and also all the dedicate things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. And at the king's commandment they made a chest and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness." And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought unto the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribes and the high priest's officers came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to his place again. Thus did they day by day and gathered money in abundance. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the workmen wrought, and the work was perfected by them, and they set the house of God in his state and strengthened it. 
And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. There we see that phrase again. But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. A hundred and thirty years old was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both towards God and towards his house. So now we've reached the point in the story where really what verse 2 is referring to, that Jehoiada has now died. And so now we have a lot of questions that we're, that we're anticipating. How is Joash going to live when Jehoiada is no longer around? Uh, verses 4 through 16 are proof of what we were told in verse 2, which is he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But, you know, I thought it was interesting when I was studying this and I, I was looking at some of the commentaries, I noticed that they meant, a lot of them divided the life of Joash into two periods. You know, they would describe the first period as living for the Lord, and they would describe the second period as forsaking the Lord. And, you know, I, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, did he really live for the Lord? I mean, the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But isn't it possible for somebody to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord and not actually to be doing it for the Lord? And I think that's the indication that we see uh, in, in verse 2 there in chapter 24. Also, again, going back to 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2, we're told that... Jehoiada did, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord while Jehoiada instructed him. So again, that seems to be an indication that he wasn't really doing it for the Lord, that he was doing it to please the priest. He was doing it to please effectively his, his father for all practical purposes, his uncle, the person that had raised him. And so again, the, the question is, how's, how is Joash's life going to turn out? How, what kind of what kind of changes are going to be made now that Jehoiada is gone? Is he going to continue to do that which is right, or is he going to just do that which is convenient? He's an adult now. Uh, in Second Kings, the, the parallel account of this, we're told that he is at least 30 years old. So he's been king now for at least 23 years since he was 7 years old, and so he's an adult. Uh, he has been following Jehoiada all of his life, but he is supposed to be hopefully maturing enough to begin to make a transition to becoming a leader and not always just a follower. And this is a question that a lot of times we as parents have about our children. You know, we can have a compliant child. We can have a child that uh, has a desire to please us. But we need to go, we need to uh, ask ourselves that, you know, is is that all there is to that child's obedience? In other words, we need to be teaching them and instilling in them a desire to not only obey us, but also to obey the Lord. Because they're only going to be on, under our authority for a short period of their life. They're going to be under the authority of the, of the Lord, hopefully, for their entire life. And so we need to be teaching them that they need to be having a desire to please the Lord. They may be doing what we're expecting them to do. They may be pleasing us. They may be obedient to us. But if they've never gone, that, that if we're not teaching them to have that knowledge that they need to be doing it for much more than just simply pleasing us, but also to please the Lord, then we're missing the boat. And they might be a, a Joash who's 
whose life is going to take a dramatic turn now that his instructor is gone, now that his, his uh, mentor and advisor is gone. So let's go on now in verse 17. It says, Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. So, so there we see the, the fulfillment of the hint, the indication that we were given back in verse 2. That once Jehoiada is out of the picture, now all of a sudden Joash has no longer the desire to do that which is right. He's easily led astray. He's not, a, he's, he's not transitioned to be a leader. He's still a follower. Verse number 19 is a wonderful verse. It's a very comforting verse. It says, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. So here we have the Lord being faithful to warn Joash, giving him an opportunity to repent, which he does with us. Uh, God is merciful. God is long-suffering. And, you know, we need, to, we need to be aware of that. The fool, and many times we, we're the fool, we think that God is always going to give us another chance. We think that there's always going to be a tomorrow. We think, maybe like Joash thought, that, you know, I'm going to repent. I'm going to get right with the Lord but I'm going to do it tomorrow, or I'm going to do it later. And there's no guarantee of tomorrow. There's no guarantee that later's ever going to come. And so it's a mistake for people to think that just because the Lord is, is very merciful and long-suffering and gives us these opportunities, that there's always going to be another opportunity. And we're going to see that in the life of Joash, there wasn't. Going on in verse 20, it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Now this is astonishing. You know, here, here we have a man who was described back in verse 2 as doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And now he's giving the order, the commandment, to execute his, literally his cousin, for all practical purposes, his stepbrother, the son of the guy that, in, that instructed him. And if we look at verse 22, we'll see what the Lord thought of that. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. So Joash has become so calloused in his sin that he has no remembrance of the kindness that Jehoiada had shown him. Uh, he, it's, it's, you know, and, and really we probably shouldn't be surprised. How, you know, when we are... And when we get, a late, get away from the Lord, it's, it's amazing how our lives can degenerate and what we can get involved with and how we can rationalize our sinfulness. Uh, it's, you know, we, we treat the grace of God as though it's something that we can just trample. And, you know, here's, here's Joash, who was literally saved from death by Jehoiada and his, his wife, his aunt and uncle, when he was a child, and yet expresses no appreciation of that later in his life. And yet, how many times are we like that? You know, we're saved spiritually, literally, from eternal death, and yet we treat the grace of God as though we have no appreciation for it. 
And so, unfortunately, many times we're a lot like Joash. Now, going on in verse number 23, it says, And it came to pass at the end of the year that the host of Syria came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil of them unto the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment upon Joash. Now right there in verse number 24, we see, if you're familiar again with, with the accounts in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles many times, God used a very small group of Israelites to defeat a much larger enemy. Now the exact opposite is the case. God uses a much smaller enemy to defeat a large group of the Israelites, again, because they've forsaken him. Going on in verse number 25, it says, And when they were departed from him, for they left him in great disease, diseases, his own servants conspired against him for the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest. And slew him on his bed, and he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they buried him not in the sepulcher of the kings. So again, we see the, the life of Joash ends without, uh, without him heeding the, the warnings from the Lord to repent. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic as we were looking at our, uh, we were going through our study in our Sunday school series about martyrs. You know, here we, we're taking back to this story to look at the life of Zechariah. Here's Joash, who was doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And instead of becoming a martyr for his faith, he makes somebody else a martyr for his faith. Now, you know, we've asked some questions about Joash, but what about Jehoiada? You know, if we, if we, we think back to the statements that we have, particularly 2 Kings 12, 2, where it says that Jehoiada had instructed Joash during the period in which he had done that which was right in the sight of the Lord... You know, then, then we can start asking ourselves some questions about Jehoiada. Well, what did he teach him? And did he teach him the right things? And, you know, again, we always have to be careful when we, when begin, when we begin to speculate like this because we're not, we're not told these things specifically and directly in the scriptures. But it is very interesting. And, and again, it comes back to, I think about that with regard to my being a parent, you know, in the way that I am teaching my children. I can teach my children to be obedient to me, but am I going that extra step in teaching them that they not only need to be obedient to me, that they also need to be obedient to the Lord? That there's much more to it than simply pleasing me. They need to they have a desire to please the Lord. The human relationship is just a very small aspect of their life, and that we need to, to get them to think about their relationship with the Lord. And whether or not Jehoiada was doing that, I don't know. Uh, I think of I think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, I think of some of the the things that that Paul said to Timothy. Um, basically, the, the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy were were both that was the the focal point of those letters. And I'm going to read just a few of the statements that Paul said to Timothy, which I I have to wonder if these were the types of things that Jehoiada was saying to Joash. 1 Timothy 4.21, Paul says to Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. 1 Timothy 6.12, Fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.14, Keep this commandment without spot until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice how Paul puts that. 
Not until I'm gone, not until I, Paul, am gone. No, until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul says to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And in 2 Timothy 4.6, Paul says, I am ready to be offered. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So again, the, the whole emphasis there is Paul is, is letting Timothy know that he, he's, he's being greatly encouraged to continue on in the things of the Lord long after Paul is gone, which Paul is basically saying is going to be very, very soon. And so, you know, you had to wonder, did, did Jehoiada, did he give Joash those same types of instructions? Did he give him those same types of encouragements? And, you know, I, I'm not aware of any indication or any, even any secular evidence that Timothy ever uh, had a life that ended up like Joash. All indications are that Timothy did what Paul had encouraged him to do, that he went on and he continued to be faithful to the Lord. But even if it had been discovered later that Timothy didn't, even if he hadn't been faithful to the Lord, would anybody be pointing the finger at Paul? I don't think so. You know, we can look at what's recorded in Scripture, and we, we know that, that Paul did, and those are, all, those are all wonderful things to do. Those are needful things to do, to encourage people and to exhort them and to guide them and to give them instruction. But we wouldn't be faulting, faulting Paul if later on Timothy, if it was discovered that Timothy hadn't followed through with that, at some point he has to, be, to assume responsibility for himself. He has to transition from becoming a follower to becoming a leader. And so then I, I look back to the life of Jehoiada, and I, I, again, I see no indication to, to believe. I, I wouldn't have any confidence in believing that Jehoiada wouldn't be given the same doubt that Paul's given. That, that, that he was doing the same things that Paul was doing, that he was, that he was a, a faithful and obedient to, to, to teach Joash to continue on in the things of the Lord, and yet it was Joash who dropped the ball. It was he alone who was responsible for how his life turned out. And, you know, we have a tendency uh, sometimes, I, I think, as parents to be a little bit harder on ourselves. You know, we, we look at the lives of our children and we're constantly reevaluating, which is a good thing. You know, we, we need to reevaluate and reexamine, but we say, what have we been doing? And, you know, we have a tendency to be a little bit hard on ourselves and blame ourselves for some of the decisions that they're going to make. And yet, I don't think that the Apostle Paul would have been responsible if Timothy had made some poor choices. I don't think, the, that, I don't think we can stand and point the finger at Jehoiada and say that somehow he's responsible for, the, for Joash's poor decisions in, in, in not following the Lord. You know, all of us have to be mindful of our, our human relationships here on this earth. We have to make sure that our desire to serve the Lord is much greater than our desire to please people. Joash was obviously a people pleaser. We're told in the scriptures, that it, we're told in this story, that he did that which was right while Jehoiada instructed him. But yet when Jehoiada was gone, then he found someone else to please. He found, there, there was, he was always looking for somebody's approval, always looking to please somebody instead of looking to please the Lord. Paul says in Galatians, Paul asks the question in Galatians 1.10. As Paul many times asks rhetorical questions, he says, Do I seek to please men? He says, For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So Paul recognized that his relationship with the Lord far, was, was far more important than any human relationship that he was going to have on this earth. And we know his faith we know 
Think of the, the story of Paul and Barnabas. You know, here's, here's, here's two men who had a falling out, had a disagreement, decided they couldn't work together. And yet, how do we know that the, the faith of each of these two men was genuine? Because they went on to serve the Lord independent of each other, even though they couldn't get along and do it together. You know, I run into people frequently, it seems like, and I'll, you know, that I've maybe gone to church with in the past, and I'll ask them, I'll say, where are you going to church now? Well, you know, I'm not going to church anywhere. And, you know, that, that, that's a red flag to me right there, that their relationship with the Lord was not what it should have been. Their relationship with the Lord should transcend any relationship that they have with people. It's just like with Paul and Barnabas. Even though they couldn't work together, they were still going to go on and be faithful and, and serve the Lord. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to decide that we're going to serve the Lord even when it's not convenient, even when we may be the only one who's doing so. Part of the study that we were, a lot of the lives of the individuals that we were looking at in our Sunday school series were people who were martyrs. And they had to make that difficult, that difficult decision to put the Lord first. You know, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that many of these people that were martyrs during the Reformation period, they had wives, they had children, they had people that they had to make the difficult decision that they were going to stand up for the Lord, even if it meant the separation, the severing of that relationship. You know, when, I, when we started coming to this church about seven years ago, I remember one of the things that was very encouraging to me was the number of people who come out to the services on Sunday and Wednesday night. And that's, that's wonderful. That's a good thing. And we should do that. And we should encourage each other in that way. But yet, you know, then I have to ask myself the question, well, is, is, if, if that's all there is, if, if it's only the relationship with the people in this church that is, that is drawing me here, then I've, told, then I've completely missed it. You know, in other words, you know, if, if there were only 50 people here tonight, would I be one of them? Or if there were only 10 people here tonight, would I be one of them? You know, am I going to resolve to be faithful to the Lord even when maybe everybody else isn't doing it? Because a lot of us find ourselves in situations where we've got a supportive spouse. We've got supportive children. We've got supportive friends. We've got a supportive pastor. We've got all of these people that around us that have put us in a very comfortable position. But if our circumstances were changed, would we end up like a Joash? Because that's what happened to Joash. His circumstances were dramatically changed. The person that had been the mentor in his life was removed. And we've got to make sure that our relationship with Christ is stronger than that. That if any one of our human relationships has more pull on us than our relationship with the Lord, then that's a problem that we've got to correct. And ultimately, you know, the, I, I'm not here to, to, you know, obviously I can't say definitively, but there's, there's some debate about there. You know, what, uh, there's some debate about whether Joash was saved. You know, as I read various accounts, uh, the commentaries on that, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, of a divide there. But, but it seems that the evidence seems to almost be overwhelming that, that he wasn't, that he had never made his relationship with the Lord personal, that his relationship was, was primarily with Jehoiada and that he had never gone to that extra, you know, gone far beyond that and made his relationship with the Lord personal. So, you know, that's my encouragement to each one here is that hopefully each one here is in a position now where they can reassess their relationship with the Lord. And, you know, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, you know, as wonderful as the relationships that you have with people on this earth are, whether that be your spouse or whether that be your friends, whatever family members, 
that ends with this life. There's got to be much more to it than that. Your relationship with the Lord has to be far more important than any, than any human relationship. You know, his pastor was just pointing that out on Sunday as he was reading Matthew 10, 37. You know, Jesus said, if you love your father or your mother or your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And that's why it was such a rewarding study. We, we spent six months going over the book, The Trail of Blood, because you know, here we're looking at the lives of individuals who made that decision. You know, they, they paid the ultimate price, which was to give up their life here on this earth in order to remain faithful to the Lord. So again, uh, that's my encouragement to you. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, uh, make sure you get that resolved. All right, let's go ahead and stand, and I will close in prayer.